I love the clap. Wow, that didn't come out right. <laughs> you can edit that out. Yeah, I'll get right on that. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, hey, uh, welcome to another episode of On Taking Pictures, the weekly podcast where we take a look at the art as well as the technology behind making images. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris from FadedAndBlurred.com, and with me, as always, is New York editorial portrait photographer Bill Wadman. Hello, Jeffrey. Hey, Bill. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. Good. Uh, so we got a lot to go over today, I yeah, think. There's a ton on the list. There's a ton. Should we start something easy? Uh, I think easy is good. All right. What, what is the, not that this is directly related to photography, but what, what's your thing about these Retina Display Max? Yeah. Uh, apparently, the next line of of the refresh for all the products are going to contain Retina displays, which I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know where you're at on it, but it seems like anything high res now has become labeled retina that it's just become kind of a brand. Uh, well, I, I personally think that it's really annoying that Apple claims to have invented the technology to have high res displays considering they don't actually make any of the displays. Right. Um, yeah, something's retina because Apple says it's retina. It's just silly. Um, high DPI displays are great. You know, um, I have used high DPI displays for a long, long time is, mm-hmm. is, as high as I can get is what I have. I remember, I, currently, I use a 30-inch NEC display, which is what, 2560 by 1600 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember I used to have an SGI 1600SW. You know what that is? I remember the story of you buying that. Yeah. So they, they, make the, they used to make this 17-inch widescreen uh, LCD, SGI did, that was amazing. And it cost like $3,500 for this display. And, and I this could, was 15 years ago money. Yeah, this was this was like late 90s. Yeah. And I rem- there was a point at which they got rid of them or they discontinued them or whatever. And I bought one for 1500 new. Um, and that display was, it, think of it, it's like a 17-inch a widescreen display, but it was 1600 by 1024 or something, mm-hmm. which at the time was crazy resolution. You know, that was like really amazing uh, uh, image on right. this little screen. Um, man, I love that display. It's well, so know, funny I, now that I think about it. 17 inches is literally like, you know, the size of my laptop. Yeah, yeah. But at the time I mean, it felt big. I can see the, the, you know, the retina and using the high PPI for for phones that that traditionally didn't have, you know, great displays. But... So, so your the Mac issue displays is... are fantastic. So I don't I don't know what I'm questioning what you're going to gain. And it seems like with with the phones, the PPI is is in the two hundreds. Yeah. Right. Yep. Two twenty, two thirty. Yeah. Uh, and and let's face it, there are some OLED displays out there that are higher PPI than Retina displays anyway. Right. Higher. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, your, wait. Your concern is that it's overkill. I, I just don't know what we're going to gain. You know, and also they're not going to be as high. PPI as the phone. You're not going to get 250 PPI on a 27-inch display. No, but I, you know, I I come down and and I admittedly am a rare ca- use case for this, right? Mm-hmm. But I come down in the case where I would say that I would love to have a 4,000 pixel, like a 4K computer monitor, right? Um, if only because then I could see my image more like it's going to be in print. Mm-hmm. 
Um, currently, I work on just one big screen, but I, as time goes on, I see some people who have the one big screen, and then they have another screen they can rotate into like portrait mode that they keep sure. at 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 like to fit, you know, shrink to fit onto the screen. So mm-hmm. you're working zoomed in on one screen while you're seeing the official thing at at full si- at like normal size on the other screen. Um, I would love to see more pixels, but I always want to see more pixels. Right. Um, uh, when I work on my laptop on the odd times when I'm on the road with a MacBook air, then I just need to edit some stuff down. The real estate drives me nuts, not being able to see more. Right. But I guess you, I guess your point is that you're always like two feet away from your screen. And then what's the point? Is that, is that kind of your point? Yeah, that's kind of, that's seems to be where I'm landing. And I, don't know, I can see pixels on my screen from, yeah. from 18 inches away. Yeah. Um, or I can see jaggies, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I think there's probably, I don't know about you, but I mean, I have one of those uh, iPad 3s. I mean, the new iPad. <laughs> and Until the next new iPad comes Yeah, out. exactly. And then it's, it's much more um, free of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's less, less fatiguing right. than the old one was. And, and maybe that will make it worth it. You yeah. know, I, I would love to be able to, you know, be zoomed in at 400 percent doing a retouch or doing, you know, some compositing or something and not see the jaggies, not see the stair stepping. But, you know, that's that's dependent on the source material, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, again, I think it's very useful for photographers. I doubt that the average person who's going to be on the Web is going to notice much. Mm-hmm. Um, although the jump, if you take an iPad 2 and an iPad 3 and stick them in front of you, I mean, there is a big difference. Um, but now, we are getting a lot of people point. were talking about color balance issues. Have you noticed anything like that between two and three color balance? Like, like that uh, the colors were bad. Uh huh. That the colors are more <laughs> supposed to be more accurate on the three than they were on the two. Um, maybe, uh, I haven't noticed a real difference. I didn't really like the way pictures looked on two on the mm. old one. Uh, 1024 at 10 inches does not look very good to me. And people mm-hmm. always said, Oh, the, the iPad, look how great the pictures look. And I'm like, screw that, man. I don't want to see my pictures on there. On the three, they look beautiful. I mean, they look like prints. Um, it's getting to that point, you know. So uh, maybe maybe that's the the plus side of of going to higher PPI and monitors is you're getting closer to what yeah. it would look like in print, despite yeah. the fact that less and less people print. Well, you know, it's uh, did we discuss here? Well, we'll you know, I, actually, I asked that question on Twitter this morning. A couple of people got back to me. Um, how many people print and how big do they actually print? What but, was the response? A uh, couple people, and they—it was just—I just put it up a little while ago. Um, three or five times a year, and the biggest they print is like sixteen by twenty. That's the biggest they print. Yep. Okay. Um, huh. which is to say, they don't need a thirty-six megapixel camera. Do you do that? Um, right. But you know, th- there was a conversation I had about the uh, Heather, my partner's friend, uh, Jamie McKelvey, is a comic book guy. Did we discuss this already? Um, sounds familiar. I don't know if we discussed it on the show, but I okay. think you and I've talked about it. Um, well, quick, quick wrap up. He, he worked on the new X-Men reboot, which was a trade comic. I'm sorry if I get this all wrong cause I don't read comics, but this is from what I understand. And we went to go buy it at the store and they had it and it was $22, but you got the digital version free on the Marvel app hmm. where if you went and bought it on the Marvel app, it was 20 bucks, but you only got the digital version. So for two you bucks extra, you copy. get the book. Yeah. yeah. So we got the book and we came home and downloaded the digital version. And the funny thing is, is that Jamie works on a Cintiq, like one of those uh, Wacom screens. 
Sure. The touch sensitive yeah. screens. Yeah. Um, so he makes his art on there entirely now. So in some ways, the iPad is going to give him more faithful rendition of what he originally created than the print is going Versus to. Versus seeing it in print. Sure. Because yeah. he's looking at it on a screen. By the time you print it down CMYK, you're actually getting less than you would have gotten digitally now mm-hmm. that we're getting up to resolutions where it looks a lot closer to paper. Um so it's it, no, it's interesting. I I guess we'll see. I mean, I would love to get a higher res desktop screen, you know. Uh, and I think it's getting to the point now where I think they're sort of around the corner in the next year or so. Sure. Um, to the point where I will not replace my screen until I can get more resolution, because nothing else is a big enough jump for me. Right. You know. Yeah. Just just going going larger is not going to be enough. Right. And they are going to have to start implementing things in the OSs that make uh, objects on them larger in order to offset it, you know, because mm-hmm. um, if you shrunk this all down, I mean, your toolbar ends up being like six point type, you know. Right, right. Yeah, um, 64 pixel icons on right. a 4K screen. <laughs> but in the last two versions of uh, of Windows and Mac OS, I mean, they, they've started building this stuff in. You know, where mm-hmm. they where they know that they're going to have to do high DPI at some point. So they start making things more relative. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. It's 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 I know what you're saying. Uh, I think that it's going to be a bigger deal than they think or I, or rather it's going to be one of those things where once you start using it and then you go back, you kind of go, whoa, that's when you'll notice the difference when yeah. you, when you see a, a non yeah. high PPI display. Right. Yeah. I think I think that's 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 where it's going to go. But uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, th- I saw this uh, crazy panorama from 1848 of Cincinnati, which uh, some people consider to be the oldest photograph of, of an American city. Hmm. Uh, and it's it's apparently it was made of like 10 or 12 daguerreotypes that were sort of have been scanned and then merged together into a panorama digitally. Um, it's just crazy looking at a city 160 years ago, you know. Yeah, uh, it's uh it's a big that's a big picture too. And, it is and a big the picture. amount of detail in there is is kind of crazy uh, given what they were using to capture it. Well, daguerreotypes actually had a lot of resolution in them. A lot more than a lot of wet plate stuff did. Hmm. Um but the problem with daguerreotypes is that you end up with <laughs> daguerreotypes are a good example because they are themselves an object, right? Sure. Um daguerreotypes are not a print they are a metal plate with or you know a glass and metal construct that is a single object you know getting back to our conversation about how photographs aren't objects anymore um Mm -hmm. and that i mean that gets into the whole printing thing that we were going to talk about um there's a big question of, of of why we keep yearning for more and more quality when less and less people are actually printing nowadays you know um, and if they are printing, how big are they printing and, and, and how much quality loss are they going to have? Uh, I mean, my, my big example, uh, my childhood best friend that I used to ride big wheels with was over last night and, uh, we were sitting around and ah, big wheels. Yeah. Remember big wheels. I do remember. Big we always wheels. used to fight over who got the blue one or the red one. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. one was a little bigger than the other. You could do that, that cool little like Rockford spin out with the handbrake oh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah big wheels uh anyway he was here and he looked at the picture on my wall which is this big black and white photo of yosemite uh half dome from uh what is that glacier point up there okay um 
And I took this picture handheld with a 5D Mark II and a 50mm lens, uh, prime lens. And literally it was like, oh, look, the, the clouds are slamming into the side of Half Dome. Snap, 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 snap. Maybe I took three or four frames. And then we went and got in the car and drove off because we were about to leave. And I came home and I... <laughs> what? I don't know. Just the way you describe it reminds me of like Chevy Chase on the, on the rim of the Grand Canyon in vacation. <laughs> well, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, Ansel Adams used to spend like six days hiking up to the top of this place to go take these pictures. And I'm just yeah. like, eh, stop back you in the car. You pull over, snap, snap, snap. Yeah. Okay. Who wants lunch? It's kind of the way it was. No, it wasn't that way at all. We spent a long time at Glacier Point. But these, uh, these uh, the clouds were coming in. So I took this picture. I came home and I... I black and white converted it and I did a little post-processing to it and I sent it off and got a 30 by 48 inch print made of it which meant I was actually cropping a little bit off the top and the bottom in order to get it to fit um so maybe it was a 20 or 19 megapixel image by the time I was done Mm -hmm. this print looks beautiful it looks beautiful from six inches away Mm. you know and this was 21 megapixels 19 megapixels and it's 30 by 48 inches um, are there times when people want to print the size of a wall? Sure. But it's so rare. It's so mm-hmm. incredibly rare. Um, but, but the nice thing about making prints is that you have something physical, you know? Um, yeah, I, yeah it's, it's, it exists. The yeah. print exists. Yeah. I was over, um, uh, I was uh, having tea <laughs> with Timothy Greenfield Sanders once at fancy. his place. Yeah, it was, it was fancy. It, it all keeps coming back to you being fancy. I know. I wish it, I wish that were true. <laughs> um, and Timothy and I are sitting there and we're chatting and, and he was looking through my Drabbles book that I just made. Mm-hmm. This was a couple of years ago. And uh, he was, he liked the pictures, whatever. And he said, you know, have you made prints of these? And other than the book, I hadn't, you know. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, you have to go home and you have to print all of these yourself and you have to sign and date them and put them in a box and put them on the shelf. Because and, and did you? Yes. And there's mm-hmm. a box in my closet that has like the master copies, quote unquote, air quotes, um, of these Drabble pictures. And they're not even that big. They're like eight by twelve on eleven by fourteen paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they're you all have them. they're all signed and dated, and they're a set, and they're in this box, and that's sort of like the master set. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's an object. That there's there's like it's not in some ways it's it's almost like it's not art until it's physical. Yeah. Um, That's a dangerous statement. It, 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 yeah, it is. Um, a lot of video artists and multimedia artists are going to send you hate mail. But yeah. uh, send those to bill at billwadman.com. Yeah. Well, yeah, but okay. But, but, those... but there is something to that. And sure. it's, it's different than a book. You know, I, it's different than uh, – there is something about the, 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 the tangibility of art that, that, that reinforces it somehow. Yes. Yeah, well, that's entirely it. Uh, and and as time goes on, I've actually been printing more. Well, I you know I ebb and flow, right? It depends on how much I'm shooting. Mm-hmm. But I, I I mean to print more and more. I I mean to print anything that I finish that I'm happy with. I th- I feel like I should print at least something I can put in a box, you know, mm-hmm. so that if somebody wants to see my work, I can hand them a box of prints that they can flip through, and they're not staring at my iPad. Um there's something different about having light reflecting off of something Mm -hmm. versus light backlighting something. Mm -hmm. Um, And nowadays, man, you can make such nice prints at home 
it becomes kind of silly why people don't more, you know, I mean, it's not cheap. I guess that's no, I mean, the, the printers themselves have gotten less and less expensive, but the ink for printing remains ridiculously high, high yeah. by comparison. I love when you ever see when they do the uh, comparisons of like gold versus printer ink per yeah, milliliter versus, or whatever. Versus yeah. K3 ultra comb ink yeah. or something. Yeah. 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 The it's, stuff is like, you know, $7 per milliliter or something. Yeah. It's, um, that's, that's prohibitive. Yeah. But that's absolutely um, and the fact trying to that make it goes money. bad. You know, how many people print four times a year but have to keep buying new cartridges because it's been so long since they printed the cartridges have gone dry. Well, that just goes to show you that you have to print more often. There you go. Um, I mean, do you, do you print a lot of your stuff, you and Nikki? I, I print more and more. Um, one of uh, the local lab that we use, uh, Metro Photo, for those of you in the greater Inland Empire area, um, he upgraded Ike, the, the fellow that owns the, the the shop, upgraded his his wide format printer to a forty eight inch Canon, and uh, and gave me his twenty four inch uh, Epson. So he could have sold that. Could have sold it for quite a bit. Yeah. So why would he do uh, that for you? I you know what I don't know. I mean we we go there <laughs> and we print and and we have things printed. I, I it really shocked me. He Nikki was in getting some things printed. And he said, uh, hey, tell Jeffrey I've got a printer for him if, if, if he would like one. And she said, oh, okay. So she came back. She didn't even ask what it was. She just came home and said, oh, you know, hey, Ike's got a printer for you if you'd like. So I called him and he said, yeah, I've got this, this Epson 24-inch wide format printer. If you'd like it, just come get it. That's crazy. It is crazy. And, and I was so appreciative and, and went and got it and um, had to replace two of the uh, – the ink cartridges, which are like 250 milliliters, they're, they're ginormous. Um, but it works flawlessly. It does absolutely beautiful prints. Um, you know, we ordered some, some printer ink, we ordered some printer paper and I don't print as much as I would like to, but it's increasing rather than decreasing. Yeah, no, there you go. Right. Um, and it's funny because printing has actually gotten better. It used to be a real pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, do you use, let's, let's, well, let's back up a little bit. Um, I used to use, when I was on windows, I used to use software to print called Q image. Okay. Which at the time was great because what it did was it allowed you to lay out the images on the paper. Um, it did down sampling and sharpening on the okay. fly. So automatically, Oh, you're going to take this giant picture, but you're printing it at, you know, eight by 10. Well, I'm going to automatically resize it down or up if it needs to be sized up. And it had all these different crazy algorithms for sizing up, all these sort of fractal kind of algorithms. Um, And then it did sharpening on the print before it printed, on the image before it printed. So it kind of did all the work that you used to have to do in Photoshop, you know, Mm -hmm, size it down, mm -hmm. sharpen, make sure it looked good. Okay, you're going to sharpen a little extra because when you go on paper, it's always going to soften a little bit, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Uh, and, and it was fantastic and it costs like, you know, 40 bucks or whatever it is on windows. So if anybody's on windows and they want to try printing stuff, uh, the Q image is great. Uh, I also found that the, the color accuracy that I got in there was 10 times better than I ever got in Photoshop or Lightroom at the time. It's almost like there were two directly from the app. You mean? Yeah. Printing from this Q image app, which was sort of designed just for printing. And I always felt like the older versions of Photoshop and the early versions of Lightroom never did a good job printing for me. Like the colors always came out wrong, Mm -hmm. especially on my old HP printer. 
And now um, have you have you have you done? I have switched with- where now I print out of Lightroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's gotten a lot better. And now I'm on a Mac, so I can't use the Q image. Um, but I also I have tried using. Back in the day, I my first real serious printer was this Canon. 990 or something like that i990 something like that it was a it was a uh die based printer this was say 10 you know eight years ago Mm -hmm. uh, 13 inches wide and i couldn't get good colors out of it and i was at a party one night and i met this kid who worked for some color lab and he's like well here i'll send you a chart print out the stuff and i'll make you icc profiles for your papers oh wow yeah um and he did, and he sent me profiles, and they worked great. Um, and they they changed the way that printer worked. The problem was is that it's a dye printer, right? Which means, mm. first of all, it's very difficult to get dead neutral black and white on a dye printer. At least it was back in the day, because it would try using all the different colors to get all the gradations, and and you'd never quite get all of the color cast out, right? Um, the other problem is that dye inks in general they they fade. Mm-hmm. At least the old dye inks faded over time, and they fade pretty quickly in the sun. Um, Especially compared to like the pigment inks that, that, exactly. that are in use now. Right. In some ways, the dye inks have are more vibrant and more uh, um, more saturated and that kind of thing. But I always found that uh, I liked, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get a pigment printer so I could start selling prints and not worry that they were going to go bad in ten years. Mm-hmm. You know? So I bought this uh, HP B9180, which at the time was sort of HP's entrance into the pigment printer market for photographers. And it was a great printer uh, largely for the fact uh, that it did its it did its own sort of closed-loop calibration. So it would print out – you stuck this certain kind of HP paper in. It would print out charts. And as they were coming out, there was actually a sensor in them that bounced light off and did a like sort of a closed loop calibration inside the printer. Huh. No kidding. So every once in a while, you could calibrate the printer to itself, kind of, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that meant was is that as long as I was using papers that were pretty similar to the HP papers, I didn't have to use any custom profiles or anything. That sort of the letting printer manage the colors was fine. Sure. In fact, that's how I got the best quality out of that printer. And the results um, were good. The results were great, and and yeah. that, and that's the printer that I printed the uh, old system on. The other nice, the old Drabble box uh, mm-hmm. of images on. And the other nice thing about this particular printer uh, was the fact that if you didn't use it for twenty four hours, at twenty four hours after the last time you used it, it would run this really quick sort of low level cleaning cycle that okay. didn't use very much ink at all, but it would just make sure that the stuff wasn't clogged. Just make sure the head stayed clean. Right. So yeah. I had this printer for four years five years and i never once had a clog nozzle Hmm. you know in fact when i decided to replace it recently and bought uh an epson uh r3000 i think it is so the like higher end 13 inch Mm -hmm. um i was actually really worried that i would start getting all the clog nozzle problems that everyone always seems to get with their epson printers right um but you don't you don't have that problem with your big one I don't. I don't have it with that one. Um, I mean, every once in a while, I, I typically will run a low-level clean before I do anything, anyway, and then run a nozzle check and just to make sure. That's because uh, you have two hundred fifty milliliter cartridges. <laughs> you just you just throw ink at the problem. I throw ink to the wind. That's right. Uh, but I, I also have uh, a, an Epson thirty-eight hundred, which uh, has been fantastic. I've never had a clog, knock wood, 
uh, on that either. Uh, but now, I, from what I understand, the inks are pressurized uh, to eliminate or, or minimize uh, clogging. But I've, I haven't had a problem with it. You think that's a recent change? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really up on printer technology and when things change. But yeah. it, it, I haven't had any problems with it so far. Um, the results have always been very good. Uh, a friend of ours has a 3880 uh, and hasn't had any problems with it. Okay. Um, I also I use uh, I'm a big satin fan paper. Satin. You like satin even even more than than a matte paper. Oh, I can't stand matte paper. Huh. Okay. Or rather matte paper for the kind of pictures I take doesn't look good. Okay. Um, lots of dark shadows, moody stuff. It just goes black on matte. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, or no, it goes really dark gray on matte. Yeah. It goes muddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because so there's, what's your, what's there's your no paper such choice? thing as black on yeah. matte paper. Um, it's funny. I, well, I'll get to that in a second. Cause I okay. used to, I used to print matte, um, for my portfolio. And then one day I printed some glossy or some, uh, satin paper and I put the two next to each other and I was like, look, if I was looking at my pictures, you know, there's just so much more contrast and saturation in a coated paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like super glossy. I don't want it to look like a magazine. Right. Right. Um, so I do everything now. Uh, I use a company called red river. Yeah. Great paper. Yeah. Uh, red river makes uh paper that in my opinion is as good as any of the other guys. Mm-hmm. And it's really cheap. Uh, they, they, where are they? are out West somewhere, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I, well, I used, uh, their polar, yeah. polar mat. Yeah. I use, right. And I use, which is, which to me, my problem with the polar mat is that some of the polar papers, those have the whiteners in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes Optical they're a little brighteners. Yeah. They go a little too blue for me. Okay. Like they're, they're almost a little, uh, neon kind of feeling. Um, so I, I actually have been going for the, uh, I guess it's the Ultra Pro Satin. Okay. Which is their sort of, it's sort of their medium level satin, but it, it's it's a little less uh, blindingly bright, mm-hmm. um, which which I kind of like. Uh, but they're, yeah, they're pa- I, I was surprised at how inexpensive their paper is when you see the quality of, of the prints on it. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's great paper. So... Not that they're sponsoring or anything, but like I, I completely am sold on Red River paper. I use it for everything. Okay, um, I'm on their site right now. What do, what do you use? What is it? I use Ultra Pro Satin. Ultra Pro called. Satin. Okay. Um, and it's it's actually it's really 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 nice paper. Yeah. So uh, here, thirteen by nineteen, a pack of fifty is going to set you back about fifty-two bucks. That's pretty reasonable. Right. So a buck a, a buck a slice. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. That's cheap compared to a lot of other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, go price some Hannah Mule. That's man, that stuff's expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. It's like you're getting for their fine art papers. You're getting into the three, four bucks a sheet range. Is it that good? You're asking the wrong person. I don't know. Um, I I think this is one of those situations where uh, all this stuff has gotten so much better over the past ten, fifteen years that even the even the medium level stuff is amazingly good. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like wine, right? Like you don't have to spend forty dollars on a bottle of wine anymore. You can spend fifteen dollars on a bottle of wine if you know the right wine to get. Yeah, any and get more. a decent bottle of wine. <laughs> what? Any more? I I don't have to spend forty dollars anymore. 
Did you used to spend forty dollars? No, I never spent forty dollars. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I, I don't drink, so I don't know. But people have told me that wine is like you know you can get good cheap wines now. Where twenty years ago you didn't cheap. You know, if you had cheap wine, you'd get Ernest and Gallo. <laughs> out of a box. Yeah, out of a box. <laughs> right. Um, now, how do you feel about printing yourself versus printing, sending it out? Um, I, you know. It comes down to the results. If I, I mean, we use Metro, we use Ike, um, and we we print some stuff at home. Um, I I don't print metallic at home, and a lot of like a lot of Nikki's work, she prints on metallic paper. Wait, she I, she prints botanical stuff on metallic paper. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, no, it looks beautiful. No, I'm sure it's, it does. I just it's just kind of funny that like you know. It's like man-made versus organic and organic. inorganic. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, the colors look fantastic, uh, and and Ike does a great job. So you know, if she's having some work printed, and and wants it on metallic paper, we'll go we'll go to him. Okay. Um, canvas wraps. He does canvas wraps in house. Yeah. Um, but if it's just sort of straight prints, we'll we'll do it at home. Especially because now we've got this this amazing printer. Yeah. Uh, there's a place up in New Jersey called Elco that I get big prints printed at mm-hmm. um, and they do we, we've had a couple things printed there on your recommendation and they look fantastic yeah the place is amazing uh, and they're crazy cheap crazy cheap like you almost can't believe they can do it that cheap cheap yeah i mean um, it was like what was uh 24 by 30 was like 11 bucks or something yeah well the, yeah they do 20 by 30 are like 11 bucks 20 by 30 that's what it was but you have to print uh at least two different pictures or two mm-hmm. of the same picture you have to do print you have to order two at a time Mm-hmm. Um, which is not a big deal. Uh, plus shipping, it ends up being like $30 for two 20 by 30 inch prints. But they, they Beautiful are... Beautiful quality. Oh, they're gorgeous. And they're they're C prints, so they're actual chromogenic, like, chemical prints. They're not inkjets. Um, and they, they look great. I did... I printed all of my show, my Drabble show I did a couple years ago there, um, and they had all the picture, the prints mounted and all the rest of it mm-hmm. uh, by them. And it's just, it's like the quality you get back. And it's like, I priced out at some other places and people wanted, you know, $200 a print to do stuff that size. Like if you go to like one of the fancy houses in town, like Dugal or that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you're spending hundreds of dollars per print. And I get stuff back from Elko and I open it up and it's almost exactly like it is on my screen. In fact, in some ways the colors are better than my inkjet that I have at home. Which, yeah, which and, and that's saying something bit. because you're you're very particular about color. Yeah, I am. Uh, although sometimes I feel like I'm not particular enough. Because how I, often do you calibrate your screen? Once a week. Yeah. yeah. Fancy. My my calibrator sits out next to my screen. Uh, there are places that do it daily. You know, uh, I don't think that mine is drifting all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's. Although I've met people who are much more anal than I am about color. And the only thing I can think is that either either they have better eyes than I do, right? That's that's one theory. Mm-hmm. The other theory is that they actually don't have any idea what they're talking about and are just making a fuss to make a fuss to act like an artist, you know? Um, because do artists I, do that? <laughs> never. <laughs> I've never heard of an artist being a jerk just to be a jerk. <laughs> Never happens. Uh, 
but you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes I see stuff and I'm uh, somebody complaining about color or whatever it is, or, or they think that a print is good. And then I look at it and I go, Oh my God, that's terrible. It's got this awful magenta cast and they think it's perfect. And then I'll see one that's perfect of theirs and they'll complain about it. And I'm like, okay, you have no idea what you're saying because mm-hmm. you obviously are not seeing what I'm seeing. Uh, this word does not mean what you think it means. You know, this this kind of is a good segue into you, you brought something up to me about scanning negatives. It was an oh. article about scanning. Which is kind of cool. It, um, it's very cool, actually. So this guy, uh, this is on, where do we find it? So we found it on Petapixel, but who who's the, uh, where's the article here? Um, this guy has set up. It's basically an article on how to scan dig, uh, negatives with your digital SLR. Right. U- using your, your SLR as the scanner. Right. Exactly. Basically, he's he's built like this little rig, which is actually not that complex, like just a few pieces of plastic and, and wood, um, to hold the negative flat. And then he's shooting a flash in the background, and he has the camera in the foreground with like a macro lens on it. Uh, yeah, and it's just a little nothing I mean, from the photos. It looks like just a little young Nuo all manual speedlight type thing. Nothing yeah. fancy. No, nothing fancy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it looks great. Um, I mean, granted, he's here's the thing. The hard thing about scanning film is that color negative scanning slide film is easy because it's sort of WYSIWYG, right? It's what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Uh. Scanning and getting color right is easy because as long as your daylight balanced color and your daylight, you know, you have the white balance set correctly, you're getting what is on the the the, the plastic on the film. Mm-hmm. The hard thing about sh- scanning negatives is that if you've ever looked at negative film, you'll notice that it's really orange, right? Um, because the base film is orange, has an orange tinge to it. So when you go and get picture, you take your color pictures and you bring them to a lab to get processed, they actually sort of, uh, they put a curve opposite of the orange to sort of uh, remove the orange cast. Mm -hmm. But each different film is completely different. So it's easy if you took a picture and you scan it with this and it looks orange um, and you invert it, it's going to look blue, right? Because it's going to shift to the other way. So if you take sure. a, an, an orange negative and make it positive, it's going to turn into a blue sort of cyan positive. Um, if you then uh, have something white or gray or neutral somewhere in the scene that you can click on and, and sort of uh, change the white balance of, you can get it neutral. But a lot of times there is no thing to click on. And so mm-hmm. you're sitting there for 45 minutes with curves trying to find something that looks right, but isn't quite right. Um I, years ago, I was I was uh, taking some pictures I took uh, and entering them into a competition, so I had to get prints made. Uh, and they were uh, two pictures I took on film, and so I had to scan them. And now I scanned them at home, and they were fine, um, but I couldn't get the color quite right. And I wanted they were going to a competition. I wanted to do it right, so I went and rented time on one of those Imicon scanners. Wow. Okay. You know these things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the idea of these, there are, there are different kinds of high-end scanners, right? There's actual drum scanners where they, they take your uh, negative and they sort of uh, oil it, use some oil to like stick it to this drum and it spins and it scans like a line each time it goes around. This is not quite that level. That was sort of like this sort of old technology. There, there's something in the middle, like these Imicon scanners, which are like fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 scanners. They're really serious scanners. I think they're owned by Hasselblad now, right? 
I don't and, know. I don't know who owns them. Yeah. And and basically the idea is that they actually you, – you put your negative in this holder and the holder slides into the scanner and the scanner kind of curves the negative just a little bit and actually sort of slides it along this curve where there's a there's an imaging sensor in the middle of the curve and it kind of slides it up the curve and scans line by line by line. Kind of, yeah, kind of a slice at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the images that you get out of these things are amazing. Uh, theoretically, you know, this is this is the way you scan fancy stuff. So I had these; they were medium format. They were uh, Hasselblad, so six by six centimeter negatives, um, both uh, uh, negative film, like color negative color film, like C forty C forty one film, right? That's I said that right, didn't I? Yeah, C forty one. Okay. Sometimes when I'm thinking about something else, I lose the slide track. film yeah. would be what going E6. back to our. So you get this C41 film and it's got this, it's got this orange base. And so I, people always said that when you go get stuff scanned, like on one of these Imicons, the quality is amazing because, uh, it can look so much deeper into the shadows and it can get more information out of the highlights and, and whatnot, you know? Now, just to explain to, to everyone, are, are you setting all of these curves or does, did the scanner do it for you? Well, that, that's what I'm getting to because okay. At home, you have to do a lot of this stuff manually because these things are not designed that well. Um, at the place that I was renting time on the scanner, they had uh, basically de- developed film with nothing on it of a bunch of different kinds of film. So it's just the color of the base. Mm-hmm. And they had scanned those and normalized them, like basically got rid of the color cast. And they okay. had made profiles for each film. Ah, okay. So you could select the appropriate profile right. to what you were scanning. So cool. I was I was scanning Portra 400 NC, whatever, Kodak. And you click that, and instantly this thing that was nasty is like dead on. Perfect. Mm. And, and it's funny because I didn't actually notice that much more information in the shadows or in the highlights. In fact, my scanner at home did just as good of a job. But when it came to... The overall color I was getting out of it, it was like head and shoulders better. Mm. And it just goes to show you that like in some ways that's the hard part, you know. Right. Um, it's If you go look at pictures uh, from the Mars probes and that kind of stuff, a lot of times you'll see that there's actually gray cards on the orbiter or like on the lander. Right. So that when they're taking pictures on, on, on Mars, they They've know what gray is. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, which I just love the fact that they have like red, green, and blue and gray cards uh, and black and white, like on this like little card that's sitting on there mm-hmm. um, just to do basically this. But it, it makes th- that made my life a hundred times easier. Um, but scanning is a real pain in the neck. So this guy is basically saying you don't even need a good scanner. You can, because we now have these cameras that are 20 something megapixels, you could just take a picture of your negative. As long as you have the negative flat and you light it right. Right. Uh, that you can get these great scans. And the example he gives is actually really great. Well, it, it's really great at 250 pixels across. True. I'd, I'd like to see 100% crop of that to see True. how sharp and if there's any distortion and, right. and that kind of thing. But but yeah, on, on the web, it looks great. So for 85% of the people out there, it's, it's yeah. probably going to look great. Well, the, the really funny thing about it is that you say, you know, I want to see it at 100%. The thing is that most times if you see any film picture at a hundred percent, you know, film can be amazing, 
but most of the pictures that you've ever taken on film or that you've seen around are much less technically perfect than you think they are. Probably. Sure. Um, Especially my photos. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually just talking about you specifically. <laughs> my photos are way less than technically perfect. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying, though? That uh-huh. I, th- I think that it's like when you, you pull out some... Uh, recently, I was scanning some pictures of uh, Heather had from her family or whatever. And they were all these, you know, four by six prints and whatever from the last 40 years. And Wait, they so you were scanning the prints. I was scanning prints. Cause that's okay. all I had. Right. Okay. We just had piles of prints and I was scanning these prints and it's amazing how little information there is in a four by six print. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing like if you get six, 700 pixels in one direction out of it before it just starts becoming like blur. You're lucky. You're lucky. Yeah, yeah. You're doing well. And how many pictures that you, you love from your childhood and you look at them and you scan them and you blow them up and you go, Oh my God, it's actually focused on the fence behind my father, not on my father, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that sort of, it sort of question, you know, I was, I was actually thinking about this earlier that a lot of the pictures that we look at more quality isn't always better. You know, sometimes having blur in a picture is what makes the picture. Sometimes obscuring things or having things out of focus is what makes things interesting, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think we have this, we have this constant need for perfection and, and, and cause we all become these crazy pixel peepers at one, one to one on our screens. And it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they're good pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, it means that they're technically correct representations of what was coming through the lens, but that's not what art is. You know, that's documentary. You know, okay. That's, now that being said, what do you think of things like, like lens babies that sort of force that that blur and force you to select a point of interest and let everything else go away. I used to own a lens baby, like the first generation ones. Mm-hmm. I think they're fine. It's, it's not the way that I shoot. Um, I, as, as much as I just said all those terrible things about people who pixel peep, I'm one of the pix- people who pixel peeps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I constantly but, but try to control But you also shoot it. at crazy shallow depth of field. I do sometimes. Yes. I do sometimes shoot at crazy shallow depth of field. Um, and I lose, uh, I'll lose a lot of, st- a lot of shots won't be any good. I w- last week I was taking, uh, um, pictures of, uh, Andy Anatko mm-hmm. up in Boston. And, uh, for those of you who don't know who Andy Anatko is, he's a, he's a tech writer for the Chicago sun times. And he has a bunch of podcasts. He's always on Mac break weekly on Twitter. Yeah, and he's a uh, Mac guy from, from way back. Yeah. And, uh, he has the Anatko files on, on Dan Benjamin's five by five. And, uh, yeah, I got a hold of him when we were talking and, and we decided to get together and we were taking some pictures and I was looking through some of the pictures on the way home. And yeah, two thirds of the ones that I was trying to do something really super thin, like, you know, 1.8, 1.4, um, were, were focused on the wrong thing, you know, mm-hmm. which in that, which in this case really matters. Cause I was trying to focus on his eyeball and it's not sharp, but I'm just being annoying. It doesn't really matter on the web, you know, but the c- kind of situations I'm talking about more are like older pictures, right? You know, photographers from back in the day who were taking pictures. A lot of the pictures that you love, famous pictures are actually not that sharp. You know, it's like the pictures on the beach in Normandy, right? Not, yeah, not sharp. Oh God. Those, it's like blur central. Cause I mean, many he's literally of, getting uh, rocked. Brisson's shots are not yeah. sharp. Well, cause he's handholding, right? He's just taking the shot. 
But it was about content. It was about the content. It was about the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Especially for Carter Bresson, because he's very French. <laughs> How do you teach photography? You teach this? Um, you ever see that? <laughs> no. He's, he was... Uh, I think it was a, it was a, it was a Charlie Rose interview. Was it a Pepe Le Pew cartoon? It, it totally was. It was a Charlie Rose interview with Henri Cartier-Bresson from like ten years ago. Okay. And uh, and and Charlie Rose says to Cartier-Bresson, uh, you know, you've said before, I've heard you say that uh, you can't teach photography, right? And uh, Cartier-Bresson like holds his hand up like he has like a fake camera in his hand, sure, and he's like. Sure fake pressing the shutter and he's like what do you teach this and he's like press 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 um and he's so french about it that it works unlike now unlike now but it, it, i'll have to i'll have to, I'll have to find that i'll, I'll add yeah, to the show notes. put that in the show notes please don't leave people with 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 that impression oh it's so good it's so good um wait, let's see press on uh okay uh hey Let's get into some more modern stuff for a second. You, you you've seen these Annie Leibovitz pictures uh, of the these Annie. You gotta you know, be a little you know more the Annie Leibovitz pictures. She's shot more than a few. The Vogue recent the new, Vogue pictures yeah, the from the Olympic Olympics. Shots? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I think the cover shot was the least interesting of the bunch. Okay. That's it. That's all you got. Uh, well, no, that's not all. Yeah, that's it's. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> That's, yeah, that, that's where I stop. Um, I think my favorite one is probably uh, the hurdle guy. Okay. The, the, Jumping over the girl. Yeah, Ashton Eaton, track and field person. Okay, here's um, my... Okay, okay, finish. Okay, but but at some point... And I, and I, love, I love a lot of Annie's work, but... I think there's a danger of her becoming derivative of herself. Danger? I think that passed like four years ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, they... I was they... trying to be kind. Yeah, I know. You're... Don't worry, she's not listening. <laughs> you don't know. Uh, she might be. You know, my... Okay, okay so wait, do you have anything else? Any other thoughts? No, please, don't, don't let me hold you back. Jump in. <sighs> there are... She is very good with light, right? Obviously, that that's her game. Um, or rather, her assistants are very good with light. Oh, wow. That was a rip. It uh, was. A little bit. Or rather, she has the kind of money to have an eight-foot softbox just out of camera shot, right? But but she only uses a soft lighter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except on the big shoots when she literally has like an eight-foot octobox. <laughs> just off camera. Yeah. Um, the thing that I didn't like about these pictures, well, they're not all bad. Some of them are, are interesting because the light is really nice, right? Mm-hmm. But some of them either are or very much look like really bad composites to me. Okay. Uh, the picture, for the instance. The swimming one looks bad to me. The swimming one is like a bad composite. Even the one, the hurdle shot that you're talking about, I think that's a composite too. In fact, I'm, I'm sure that's a composite. I don't know. There's some there's some behind the scenes video of him jumping over her. Really? Yeah. Where's he jumping from? The the water was very shallow. Okay. I I I have to watch behind behind the scenes footage because to me it looks really like a bad composite. The water one looks like a bad composite. Um, the the swimmer. The swimmer. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then the, the interesting how they shot that. Uh, the swimmer one. 
Yeah. I have to watch the behind the scenes. Yeah, they, they had a, a basically like a big clear uh, panel of Plex okay. with, with a little bit of water in it. And, and this swimmer uh, pressed into the water. Oh, he's just like against the plastic. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you can on, on the bottom, basically on his his lower chest. Oh, you can see all the you, reflection. You can see the reflection of the of the octa. Well, that did a great job. <laughs> uh, I just I I think that that one that one in particular looks kind of silly to me. The perspective is the is scale kind of is wrong. Of, the whole thing the is girl. just yeah, it's just very odd. Um, I'm not impressed by that one. I'm not impressed by the one of the uh, the uh, tennis. The Brian brothers. Okay. Of them jumping in the air. Yeah. Acting all goofy behind some hot girl holding tennis balls. Really? Like it's just, sometimes it feels like her stuff. And in the last one, the one in the locker room with the guys like just sitting there steaming. And then there's like some okay. hot girl walking out of the shower the girl. Yeah. It's just, it's like, there's a certain point at which it's all about, okay. You have the pretty Annie Leibovitz lighting and everything else is just kind of phoned in. That's hmm. what it feels like to me. Like these, okay. these, these don't make me think, wow, I want to take pictures like her where they used to, her pictures used to make me feel that way. Okay. Let, let's touch on that. When was the last time you, you really saw something that, that particularly that she did yep. that you went, yep, nailed it. Uh, I loved some of the stuff that she did, uh, for, um, the Vanity Fair Hollywood issues. See, I, I like those. The 2007 one particularly. Is the 2007 really... one at the end of it have the shot with George Clooney in the water with all the girls? Like where he's the movie director? Yeah, the movie about? director. And it's got the Helen Mirren, Judy yeah. Dench one in the car, right. Jack Nicholson. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that was probably the last time that I was like, wow, she's really got it. Hmm. Um, like this to me feels not impressive. Oh, and the, the guy with the basketball with the girl in the hoop. Okay, yeah, Is, the girl sitting in the hoop. That's got to be a composite. I don't know. If it's not, it just looks like a composite, hmm. you know? Um, and and at the point at which something really looks like a composite, whether or not it was a composite, you failed. If if the viewer is questioning, is this real? Yes. You know. Blanket case, or that's got to be case by case? I, well, I mean, if your attempt is to make a single-looking photograph, like a like a cohesive whole... And to me, it looks like two pasted together photographs. Even if you did it as a single photograph, then you screwed something up in the lighting or something. Okay. To that, would, that, would you say it's like watching a film uh, when you when you when you actually say that was a great special effects shot? It's taken you out of the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Now, would my mother know that the guy? You know, would she think that the guy jumping over the girl was 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 fake? Um. Me as a guy who does a lot of composites, it looks bad. Like I would have, I feel like I would have done a better job than that. Mm -hmm. I could have made it look more real by faking it. Is that, is that a better way of putting it? Sure. And she has really good retouchers. So I'm sure she could do that too. Um, I don't know. Just, there's something about it that just doesn't do it for me. And it kind of, I just, it's sad to me that it's either that my tastes have improved or my, or changed my eyes have improved. improved or changed. Yeah. Or she's getting less good, and I just can't decide which one it is. You know, either I'm getting more refined, or she's getting less refined. Maybe, maybe you're just, maybe you're just expecting more. I'm a cranky old man. I didn't say that. 
but yeah, you're cranky. Well, you know what? It's it's it shows you though that that you know it's kind of like uh, these pictures to me. They look like Annie Leibovitz, which is great because she's Annie Leibovitz. But it looks like the same stuff Annie Leibovitz has been doing for the past ten years. So, do you think that that there's not a lot of challenge in in her her recent work? I think she is. From what I've seen, she's kind of just sort of coasting on what she does. Um, hmm. And it was funny because I was up in the the Apple Store up in Boston last week with a with a friend of mine, and he's really into Apple and whatever. And, and we were staying in the store, and I said, you know what? These stores are starting to feel old to me. You know, these hmm. stores have been around for eight years, ten years, whatever it is. And they've looked the same for 10 years. Like it's starting to feel stale is as, as cool and refreshing as it was when it first opened. It's sort of like things have moved on and now it feels old. And I feel like in some ways, those pictures that Annie has taken are the same way, you know, where it's like, yes, so, there are Annie Leibowitz pictures of hot models and Olympic people, but you know what? That's exactly what she would have done 15 years ago. Okay. So, so who is, uh, in this sort of Vanity Fair, Vogue, who's challenging you? Who do you think is doing great work? I think there's a lot of people doing great work. I don't think there's anybody doing anything new that it really excites me or anything new that I see that I could actually point out to you. Um, hmm. But I think that comes partly because those magazines are, are they're more conservative about this kind of stuff, you know? They want the person who's refined, who's known or whatever, you know, if they had me take the pictures of Olympic people first, I'm not saying I could do it better than Annie did. They're, they're fine pictures, but mm-hmm. they're just nothing new for Annie. Where if, if I did it, they're not, they're like not going to risk it. would make it in the industry today. I think young Avedon would, you know, the early Avedon, like the fashiony stuff, like in Paris, right, right. that stuff was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the point at which he gets to just the white background with people on it. I don't think that anybody tur- that turns heads because that was new and fresh back in the sixties and seventies when he was doing it in the eighties. Right. So at the point at which, you know, th- th- every kid with a, with a speed light and an umbrella and, you know, a white background could take that picture mm-hmm. nowadays. So do, do you think that, that Annie has reached that point of, of kind of doing Annie type setups? These are her white background shots. Yes. I mean, look at you. Look at her pictures now, and you go, "Oh, that's Annie Leibovitz." Sure, you know they just have that look. The question is, how much of that look is actually her, or the lighting, or whatever, or rather, is the really amazing post people that she has working for her? Um, there's an article a while back, if I wish I could find it, about like her head retoucher guy. Um, let me see if I can find it. I'll I'll, I'll find it and put it in show notes. Okay. Um, that is that is really really great. Um, and it talks about him like sitting down in like this dark room and like, that's all he does, you know? Um, but they, they, these guys make more of a decision. I I was talking about this with Dan yesterday. It's like the, the, as, as more and more people use the same cameras and the same gear, the more that post-production is required to make your pictures look different than everyone else's. Mm-hmm. Cause otherwise if, if I, if I'm taking pictures of Nikki and you're taking pictures of Nikki and we're both using a 5d Mark II in the same light, they're going to look almost identical, you know? Um, cause there's no, there's like, there's not enough changing in angles that it's going to like be like, Oh, that's obviously a Bill Wadman photo. Um, or at least I don't feel that that's true. 
anymore. And it's, I don't okay. know. So it's, it's like, it becomes more necessary to sort of create your own thing after the fact that, that the act of taking photographs in the camera is like step one in the process of making the photograph for me. Okay. Um, Whereas maybe 20 years ago it was, it was, well, I think 20 years ago, people were using different cameras, different lenses, different films, different okay. printing systems, different whatever, so that there were a lot more variables. So even though people were using the same stuff, it there were there was more there was more combinations of 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 gear and and films and chemistry and mm-hmm. and papers. So versus that, 5D Mark III and D800. Right. Yeah. You know. Uh things have been become more homogenized, which gives you more control because you, you have a known known, you know, but sometimes you want unknowns. I don't know. Interesting. It's deep. It is deep. Hey, before we get to our photographer of the week, uh, I wanted to say that if you are a fan of Zay Frank, if you don't know who he is, you should go watch him. Um, I, I didn't know who he was before you sent me uh, some things, and I've been watching his little video vignettes and really digging them. Yeah, he's he's great. And if you, if you know who he is, you're going to be like, how could you not know who Zay Frank is? And if you don't know who he is, you're, you need to go look at him. Um, Zay, back in 2006, 2007, did this uh, big, long series of these sort of videos, these like two, three, four-minute videos where he just sort of talks to the camera and writes music and, and does these all this kind of like uh, really insightful talking. It's sort of commentary kind of stuff. Um, Were they scripted or they stream of consciousness, just rants? He, what he would do is he t- he was telling me about this when I was taking this picture years ago, that he would uh, hit record, speak a line, hit pause, think of the next line, hit record, say the next line, pause. So it's hmm. sort of um, paused improvisation. Okay. That's how he used to do it, uh, which I'm assuming he does it now. So he did this for years. Uh, and Could then, we call it improvisation? Ba-dum-psh. <laughs> uh, and then so recently he wanted to do another set, and so he started a Kickstarter campaign and get a bunch of money like four times what he asked for. And so he's doing another one of these sort of biweekly video uh, little things. Um, and he actually asked me to collaborate with him on some of them. So we're giving people assignments in, in this last episode that was out. And then uh, another one next week, uh, this, this week you're supposed to go find somebody you love, have your camera ready, say, I love you to them and take a picture the moment they react and upload it to this website. And then I'm going to judge the one that catches my eye the most and you win this poster and, uh, and he's really good. So there's like a hundred people have already uploaded these things. What if they don't react? Uh, well, actually some of them are actually fairly unreactive photographs. I have to admit that have been put up there so far. Um, hmm. but it's fine. You know, they're, they're, they're neat and they're cool. But if you don't know who he is, you should check him out. Zayfrank.com, Z E F R A N K.com. Uh, the new thing is a show at, or a show.zayfrank.com is the new one. The old one was the show.zayfrank.com. I, I really like the waves episode that you sent me. That's a great a one, isn't it? It is really great. <laughs> It is really great. If you, if you go to cause I'm wearing site, yellow shorts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then by the time you get there, he's wearing red shorts. Yeah. Listen to it. And it's, it's, it's very clever. It's great stuff. Right. Uh, yeah. so anyway, just something to put out there. Um, so who did we decide on today? Uh, for the photographer. Yeah. Kurtesh. Kurtesh. I love Andre Kurtesh. Kurtesh. Hungarian guy. 
Beautiful stuff. Yeah. Born in the 1890s, died in the 1980s. Um, used to shoot a lot of, uh, obviously, black and white stuff in the early days. Um, uh, he obviously emigrated to the U.S. like in the late 30s. But a lot of his pictures are from the 1920s and 1930s, so when he was in his 20s and 30s uh, in um, Paris, that kind of area. Uh, and, and, and in fact, one of my favorite pictures he ever took uh, was this great picture uh, of it's a it's a railway trestle in in uh, Merdon, south of Paris. And it, there's a train going over the top and there's a guy in the foreground holding this like wrapped uh, painting or something. It's like wrapped in newspaper. And yeah, he's kind of looking at the camera mysteriously. It and he's it's, got his top hat on. Yeah, and it's one of those examples of because you know it's street photography. Um, because you've you've you, you could tell no, they're not posed this way. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's just he got this shot. And what's really great about it is that it's sort of it's street photography, but it's sort of crossed over into being art like true art just because the way the composition just totally works um and one interesting thing about it is that apparently he went there a week before and took pictures all around this area including a picture of almost the picture that he was going to take the famous one um without people in them it's sort of him just walking around just sort of location scouting yeah Mm -hmm. and uh and they are completely and utterly boring and completely uninteresting what makes that picture is the fact that the train's going over the trestle and the guy in the foreground. Um, and it's a good get. And I'm not a big street photographer kind of guy, um, but I will admit that this picture is fantastic uh, for, yeah, for these there, reasons. There's some really nice stuff in here. His, his yeah. street work in New York in the 50s. Uh, there's, there's some great pieces. Um, I don't know. It looks like funhouse mirrors or some sort of distorted yep. mirrors. Yeah. Uh, there are a series of nudes that are really beautiful. Yeah, no, his the, the distorted nude stuff is amazing to me. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the kind of stuff that you see, and I always tend to think to myself, this is the kind of stuff some kid at you know Fashion Institute or Pratt is doing, thinking they're so avant-garde. And yet these pictures were taken in the 19-teens, mm-hmm. in the 30s, you know, that that, yeah. that that anything that you think you're coming up with something so original and amazing, it's been done before. There, uh, there's a fantastic shot of uh, a series of of people walking with umbrellas. Yeah, uh, with and then there's a there's an arrow painted in the street, and they're all sort of walking in the same direction. There's fantastic shot, really uh, beautiful. Yeah, he does a lot of stuff from above too. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, oh yeah, I like the one with the arrows. That's a pretty great shot. Isn't it great? Yeah. Um, he does he does a lot of shots like up from windows looking down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's that amazing shot of I think I don't know what city it is, actually it's New York City I think with um there's a there's a hole in a in a window glass, there's like a hole in a the, window like a, like a crack yeah almost like a bullet hole type yeah of thing. Mm-hmm. and but the windows in the reflection or seeing through I can't quite tell which way it's going, um but that's amazing picture, um one one of the great things uh, about him is that it's it's very eclectic stuff. You know, there's yeah. the street photography and then there's the, then there's the crazy nude stuff. Um, and there's just, and, and he, as later he gets a little avant-garde too, some kind of like really strange, uh, pictures, but Kertesh is, is, is really, really fantastic. Yeah. Good um, stuff. Are, are there books available? Oh, about I'm sure him? there are a billion him? books available. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. find a good one and, and we'll put it in the show notes too. Um, 
It's uh, let's see. I got the uh, the Ache book, by the way, and it's 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 pretty cool. You, you From, now you mentioned to me that you think that uh, the printing is too good for the pictures. Is that a bad way to put it? Well, no, I think that's fair. Uh, there's something about these these photographs that they you know because of the age, because of the equipment, because of the condition of of the negative when they were scanned or the plate when they were scanned. Yeah, th- there is something about printing them on beautiful glossy stock with you know current printing methods that that somehow detracts from the photographs for me yeah I, I i wish that i could have seen them printed at the time they were taken yeah using the technology available then versus how they're printed now well what's kind of funny about that is that ache towards the end of his life was still making albumin prints which is sort of like a it's like um the fixative for the silver onto the paper was actually like egg whites Huh. And they used to uh, expose the prints in windows, like just sit them out in the windows because it took hours to to have them actually develop. Hmm. Um, but even at the time, that was very old technology. So Ache was using himself old technology even for his day. Wow. Um, but his pictures would end up being very low contrast, you know, very yellowed. Um so in some ways, you're getting a much more probably what he originally intended. You're getting closer to than he ever actually got. You know, and interesting. He, and he was uh, shooting with you know I think a five by seven or something view camera, which meant that like what you're seeing in that book is I don't know eight by ten prints or whatever. Um, were were actually is actually much. It just goes to show you how good our cameras have gotten nowadays when we can take 35 millimeter film and get much better quality than a five by seven glass negative right. was 120 right. years ago. Um, the things got really good, really fast. You know, one last thing about printing in general is that in the old days, you didn't print 35 millimeter bigger than 11 by 17 or so. No, I mean, there are 13 by 19 prints from a 35 millimeter negative, but they don't look that great. Mm-hmm. nowadays 35 millimeter full frame sensor digital camera you're printing that big and it's like a walk in the park you know so people who say oh 35 millimeter film is still way better than 35 millimeter digital they're out of their minds uh the, i shoot 800 speed portra film sometimes in my leica and it is so grainy that it's unbelievable you know where it's like you're just losing resolution because of the grain mm-hmm. uh, where i shoot 6400 on my new camera my mark three and it's great you know i mean it's probably the equivalent of 800 on film you know three oh. or four stops different mm-hmm. um but that i can the fact that i can print like i said earlier the 30 by 48 thing on my wall that would have been large format territory 30 40 years ago mm-hmm. you know you never would have done that with a smaller format camera it would just look terrible but we can now because the technology is so good um so go take pictures and print some stuff Printing's fun. Printing is fun. You know what else is fun about printing? Giving prints to people or selling prints to people. Like having somebody have an object that was the thing that you made. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, <laughs> one last thing. You know, the the Canon dye printer that I had, I printed out a black and white thing of a like this um, lily pad kind of thing in a pond once for my mother. And she had it in one of the rooms in her old house. And then the next year I printed her... Uh, or two years later, I printed her another black and white thing from Yosemite, but on my pigment printer. And three years later, 
I was up in the room with the thing from the dye printer and it had shifted so far green. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's now a duotone. It's right, intentional. Right. But see, I would not have even noticed that except for the fact that it was sitting next to something that was so like starkly neutral. Mm hmm. Um, that I, that it's only because of the reference that I could notice how far the other one was, was careening off course. That's funny. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Um, it's good stuff. Do you sign your prints? No. Does Nikki? No. Uh, sometimes. Front or back? Um, you know what? That's a good question. I, I don't know. Uh, I think if she, if she does a full bleed, she signs the back or if she leaves some sort of bezel. Then she signs the front in pencil. Okay. I'm yeah, a big, I, there's I'm a big fan of signing sign. back. Yeah, I don't need to sign any of my prints. That's silly. <laughs> but you sign your paintings. <laughs> I do sign my paintings on the back. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I used to sign the front, and I, I started signing the back after a conversation with uh, uh, a wonderful painter named Father Bill Moore. Uh, who is a fantastic contemporary painter. Um, and we were talking about, because he signed the back of his of his paintings, and I asked him why, and he said, signing the front becomes an object. It becomes a, 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 an element in and of itself, and mm-hmm. he felt that it distracts from the impact of the work. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I do it. I keep it on the back. Yeah. If somebody wants to sign print, I sign it on the back, and I also have a stamp that I put on there. That that marks it as an original, so that you know, there are things that so people don't. Not that people are faking my signature, but just that. Yeah, it, is there it, a big black market for yeah, Bill Wadman prints? I'll tell you. Uh, but you know, <laughs> Prada just to bags keep, and Bill Wadman prints. It's, just to keep it a little it. more. I don't know. Control. Do you do any sort of certificate that comes? Like uh, I do when I do editions. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, which is which is always fun. Yeah. Uh, go print. I know printing is fun. Make prints. Give them away. Uh, anything else before we finish up? Um, no. Comments, questions, direct them at uh, what did we set on up? Taking we... Pictures at Gmail. Isn't that what it is? No, I actually set no. up podcast at ontakingpictures.com. Did you? Okay. I yeah. missed that. So you can, podcast uh, at ontakingpictures. Yep. And I will get those and we will answer questions. And if, if you dig the show, uh, uh, leave a review or a rating on iTunes. We oh, yeah. We're on see. iTunes now as of last week. Yeah. Which is all very exciting. It is exciting. I'm going to spread the word. It's, get some more people listening it, to this it's, thing. It's science fiction. It really is. When you when you stop to think about it, it's it's science fiction. Yeah. I like science fiction. Me we'll too. talk about science fiction next week. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Catch All right. you later. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you.